Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan with Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Terry Rogers, CEO of Westminster Communities of Florida. This is his second appearance on Transform. His first appearance was in 2020, when he was CEO of Christian Living Communities and its for-profit management arm, Capella Living Solutions. The state of Florida has become the epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic in the United States. But thanks to relatively high vaccination rates among residents and staff, Rogers believes Westminster's communities are safer than the cities where they're located. And that is reflected in the company's occupancy rate, which is held steady at around 91% over the last few months. We are seeing some prospects and adult children who want to make this decision now to be in a safer environment. So they're seeing senior living as a safer place to be. But before we get to that interview, I wanted to promote our next Build conference happening in Chicago on November 17 and 18. Build is an annual event dedicated to the latest trends in architecture design and innovation for senior living owners, operators, and developers. Hear how industry players are redefining senior living development and planting their stakes now to reshape the future. Be sure to visit seniorhousingnews.com events for the latest updates on Build and our other scheduled events. Now, here's my interview with Terry Rogers, CEO of Westminster Communities of Florida. Terry Rogers, thank you so much for joining me on Transform today. I wanted to start with uh, a little snapshot of what the recovery is like in your markets. So where Westminster Communities of Florida has communities, what has demand been like? And you know, to what extent are you seeing this ongoing recovery that we're part of right now? Yeah, hi, Tim. It's great to be with you again. You know, as far as demand, overall demand and interest, I think in the state of Florida, it really seems to be strong based on what we're seeing across the state. We've seen a rebound in inquiries and lead generation. And, you know, that's an, uh, really at an all-time high for our organization since we started measuring uh, those metrics. So uh, the number of appointments and tours from those leads are up, and we're really now as far as tours back to pre-pandemic levels. So that's exciting for us. Kind of recently, we've noticed an uptick in walk-ins, and we believe that's maybe adult children are reconnecting again with their older adult family members and perhaps then seeking out a senior living community for their parents. And then, so all of that leads to sales, and we're finally getting back to, um, to a normal, or at least what we feel is a normal, and occupancy continues to trend up. So all in all, we, we have, you know, fairly positive news, I would say. Great. And you mentioned again, I would be remiss to, to not mention that you have, this is the second time you've joined us on Transform. The first time was when you were with Christian Living Communities and Capella when you were leading that organization. So right. I just wanted to make note of that. We'll, we'll talk about maybe how this compares to what you saw there in a little bit. Sure. I, I want to stick to the recovery though for a moment. So you know, over the past week or so, I have heard or I've read many stories about how Florida seems to be kind of the epicenter of this Delta variant of the coronavirus. And I understand that that is leading to some new infections in mostly unvaccinated people, which is, I think, good news for senior living residents who are mostly vaccinated. But I do know that this is a concern for providers, you know, especially if case counts tick up, you know, there's the possibility that we might start to see some of the restrictions that we saw last year, or at least maybe some mandates. So so I'm curious. So as, you know, knowing that Florida seems to be kind of the epicenter of some of these 
outbreaks now. Have you had to re-implement any safety measures at all as a result? Or have you seen any you know, mandates or restrictions come back down where you've had to walk back some of the newly loosened, you know, assumingly loosened restrictions that you have? Yeah. No, I, you know, we are concerned. I think uh, as a Florida resident now, I can tell you we are at the epicenter, it seems, of, of the Delta variant. We're doing our best to continue to ensure safety. I think if we look at our campuses in the communities, we feel that our campuses are safer overall than the cities where those campuses are located. So mainly due to vaccination rates, we have nearly 100 percent of our residents are vaccinated. We have nearly 70% of team members vaccinated. And if you just compare that to most areas in Florida that are only 50% vaccination rates, then you know, we're doing better. We're doing better. So we hope that means we'll do better even with the Delta variant repercussions. For, I guess, the most vulnerable people we care for in assisted living and in nursing care, we really haven't changed much about what we had already implemented. Their safety has always been our top priority. As cases have increased, we're focused on assuring that those procedures that we implemented last year are still being applied consistently across our system. I think maybe a little tweak in in what we were doing pre-Delta and and now in independent living, we're really letting the resident councils be extraordinarily involved. They've been involved and we've been transparent. We've been partners throughout the, the pandemic, but now we're really getting there recommendations on what do they expect for mask requirements for themselves, independent living in common areas for visitors. And and we're seeing some variability from campus to campus as to what those residents are comfortable with. And we're going to honor that. Our team members have always worn face masks since the start, since March of 2020. That continues to be the requirement. And then one new safety precaution we've started is that as of this week, any new team members we're hiring must be vaccinated or, or be willing to get vaccinated very quickly. We're not currently mandating that existing team members get vaccinated, but since we're at 70% and we're, we keep increasing that, that number, we're feeling good that we're, we're making great progress toward total vaccinations of team members. So we're definitely seeing, seeing an uptick in, I, I think, vaccinations probably because of the media portrayal of the Delta. You know, at this point, I'll take whatever calls there is to increase the vaccinations in our communities and around the state. Yeah, absolutely. And and the Delta variant, while it is worrying, I've also talked with providers who, you know, have said that they feel cautiously optimistic, at least because they feel like, hopefully anyway, the worst is behind them and that they have the skills now to deal with some pretty disruptive things. So yeah. I guess as we are seeing case counts tick back up, you know, are you concerned that the industry might go back to some of the restrictions that we saw last year that, you know, we've heard so often took a toll on residents. Do you think that's a possibility? Or do you think that now the industry knows enough that maybe we'll be able to avoid some of the hardest parts of last year? Yeah, I, I hope the latter. I hope we're you know, able to avoid the difficulties. I think, though, if the fear leads to a slowdown in tours, then occupancy is going to be impacted again, or at least the recovery of occupancy is going to slow. We are seeing some prospects and adult children who want to make this decision, though, now to be in a safer environment. So they're seeing senior living as a safer place to be than being isolated at home. So and then the other thing, we have the extremely strong real estate market. So for entrance fee organizations like ours, you know, it's really a great time to sell your home and, and then move in to one of our communities. So there's some positives, I think, that, you know, kind of 
kind of tailwinds that I hope to combat some of those headwinds that, that we're seeing through the Delta. We've really been uh, able to maintain a very stable occupancy over the last few months. And so our goal is to at least maintain that and hopefully to improve that uh, over the next few months. I don't want to put you on the spot, but when you say a stable occupancy, you know, ballpark, what is a stable occupancy for Westminster communities of Florida? We are hovering around 91% overall currently. So we feel that's pretty strong. Uh, independent living is higher than that. Where we saw the dip was in assisted living and healthcare centers, obviously, uh, over the last year, just like everyone else. But we're we're happy. I think CCRC's had a, had a great, you know, benefit in the uh, IL numbers that we had and, and we're just trying to to maintain that and we're seeing it uptick you know month to month so we're pretty happy we're not going to let up off the pedal though of course something else i've seen this year during this recovery period is i've noticed uh senior living providers trying to reach their prospects sooner by branching out into things like active adult or in-home care I don't think, although correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think Westminster has any active adult in its portfolio, but I know that you offer some in-home care. So I guess as you've been doing that, have you seen an advantage You know, when trying to reach those prospects sooner simply because you are serving them in their own homes? Yeah, we don't have true active adult. We do have some rental communities, but we do have home care in two of our markets. I think prospects do feel that home care is an added value, an added benefit. Really, even if you move into a life plan community with multiple levels of living, I think you can assume that you might could stay in independent living before you had to move on to assisted living. Uh, and, and of course, we see that work. So I'm a big proponent of in-home care. You know, I, the limiting factor in that in that business for growth is workforce. And, you know, it's a tremendous challenge. So today we're at maximum capacity for the team members that we have. We're constantly recruiting for more. So it's really not a marketing or a need, you know, problem. It's just, we don't have the supply. We don't have enough team members to meet the demand. So I believe, you know, I think that'll get better as we figure out this workforce thing. And and uh, we are certainly committed to it for the future. And I, I would expect you'll see it uh, growing in other of our markets as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So obviously, Westminster Communities of Florida, you all are a nonprofit senior living provider. What's it like to be a senior living nonprofit in the age of COVID? You know, do you think there are any unique challenges or opportunities created by this era that that you're seeing? Yeah, I think, you know, COVID's challenged all of us in many ways, whether you're for-profit or not-for-profit. I think we're all in kind of the same boat. It, you know, it forced all of us, I think, I believe to innovate, maybe to try some new things sooner, perhaps than we would have technology, marketing, uh, dining, uh, programming activities, delivery of care, you know, those services that we provide, we had to be creative and innovative in how we fulfilled that. We've also heard from prospective independent living residents that it's helped show the benefit of living in a senior living community that, you know, they do perceive us as being safer than living in their own home, which, you know, I, I think maybe that's counter to some of, of perhaps what we hear in the media. I think nationally providers are focused on rebuilding this trust in our field. And I think to some extent we had some very unfair media portrayals of, of what we actually do and what senior living is. I, I think we were all lumped together into the New York nursing homes and that's just not the business, uh, as you certainly know. We are definitely hearing that some smaller organizations had a 
tremendously difficult year financially. I understand that. You know, we have a very large support team that that work to support our local campuses around the state. So I can't imagine last year going it alone by yourself without the support structure that we have. I think the larger system like ours are, are certainly now capable of partnering with those smaller ones and to provide support to ensure that our space continues to thrive. So maybe that's an opportunity for large systems and smaller systems to come together and, and be stronger together. You mentioned staffing and hiring and how hard that is. You know, I think it's no secret to anyone in this industry how tough it is to hire people right now. I guess, you know, first part of this question is, what are you seeing in terms of hiring? I'm assuming it's tough, just like anywhere. But also, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on how you think the senior living industry can get beyond these hiring challenges. Yeah, well, we're definitely faced with a lot of the same challenges as not only other providers in, in senior living and healthcare, but really the whole country in every service business. So we're not immune. We think for us, the best way forward for us is to build a culture where people really want to work with us, that we want to be known as a great place to spend your entire career. Uh, so we put a huge focus on retention as part of our, this ongoing culture effort we have. Over the last 12 months, we've done a lot of data gathering. We've did a, a vigorous culture assessment of all of our team members and then trying to understand the values that they want to see and the company that they work for. It's their company. So we're trying to make sure that we're honoring what they want. And then we just completed a total reward survey to identify those things from a wages, compensation, benefits, programmatic things that team members expect and want. I think too long, we as managers have decided what we thought they wanted and we have really taken a deep dive into exactly what they want and what will keep them here. So we will be, that will be a multi-year rollout, but we will be responding to what they said. And then, you know, as we think about getting beyond this challenge, I think we have to start thinking differently about why someone wants to work for us. It's just, it can't just be a job and a paycheck. We are putting additional dollars towards frontline workers. I think all of us are having to do that. We want to do that. You know, it has to be this job has to be something you want to do. I just don't think enough people know what it is to want it. So we're putting a big emphasis on marketing our jobs in the field. And then I think if we put all that together, if you can make communities really be that, then people will be knocking at our door because they want to work for us. So we're all in on culture, and that's where we're, we're leading from. Yeah. I, and again, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I have a follow-up here. Yeah. I wrote a story a while ago now, I guess, a few weeks ago about staffing. And uh, probably actually longer than a few weeks ago. But it was, it was about staffing. And I talked with a couple frontline workers. And one of the things I heard was that not only does the industry need to kind of, you know, pay more for some of these roles, but the recognition also needs to be there. And the thing that I heard, uh, at least from one worker, was that, you know, if the Taco Bell down the street pays a quarter more than I get hourly. And if I feel like I'm already kind of working a fast food job at my senior living community, even though it's not fast food, that's how I'm treated. Why not just go work in Taco Bell, make more money. And at least I'll, you know, I'll have the recognition that I have now, but for more money. And that, that made a lot of sense to me. So I guess, do you have any thoughts on how the industry can also up the recognition side of things and what it, what it takes to do that? Yeah, I think it goes back to culture. You have to have a culture that recognizes the work that people are doing. And, you know, it's, I tell all of our frontline people, the resident facing jobs, that is where the sacredness, the sacred work 
is happening there. It's not in the corporate office, not in the regional offices, and it's not in the executive director's office, maybe sometimes. It's, you know, that sacred work happens, you know, when that frontline dining staff or a certified nursing assistant or a personal care assistant, when they, they are in the presence, many times one-on-one with that resident. And we have to recognize that and and certainly recognize those individuals that are doing it. How do you do that? I think we just through a culture where everyone understands that is where we're going to start. Yeah. So earlier we talked about how the last time I talked with you on this podcast, you were with Christian Living Communities and Capella. So the last time you were on, we talked about the opportunity of small house senior living. We talked a little bit about how when you were with CLC and Capella, you all were sort of exploring ways to maybe work with Minka, which creates kind of small modular homes at scale. So I guess, you know, that was a few years ago before a pandemic. So what is your view of the small house trend now? And, uh, and also, does Westminster have any plans to dabble in that space? Yeah, you know, we're really bullish on what we do today. We do have kind of a diversified portfolio today. We have life plan communities. We have a, those are in amazing locations around the state. We have urban and suburban affordable housing communities and moderate rate communities as rentals. And I think uh, we probably have room to to kind of uh, get into a perhaps a different model of active adult. But I think there's a big opportunity for this new model of what I call age-in-place tech-enabled small homes like Minka. And we're actually currently investigating how we might add through a new development, a smaller Minka community just to learn it, to understand what it what it is and, and how the public you know responds to it. I've always believed as this consumer base that we res- you know, respond to grows, is getting bigger, as we all know, so will the options that they will have for retirement living. And I believe it's up to organizations like ours to, to expand the options and the models that are out there. We also talked a little bit about when you were with Christian Living and Capella, the, the organization was joining the, the Perennial Consortium as a founding member. It's been a little bit since then, so I also wanted to ask you, how do you feel about the role of different payment sources in senior living? And particularly for, you know, kind of what you do, do you think this is still a growing opportunity that you plan to work more with in the future? Yeah, no, great question. I think during the pandemic, we saw that these type of models, these new payment structures uh, really grew. And they had tremendous success because people were able to access care and people who knew them on campus. And, you know, I think that's a tremendous benefit to the older adults living there. So I believe the train has left the station on the new models, whether people adopt them or not. But the new models will be out there in some communities. No turning back. I hope not. I like the, the, this new structure. I think we'll continue to see these risk-based population health models grow. They will evolve, uh, just like everything. And then, you know, I still believe that we as senior living providers, we are in a perfect position to impact well-being and healthcare outcomes. And if you do that right, you can take risk. If you take the right amount of risk, you can get you know the returns from that. So we're definitely getting into it now. We've started, though, not by owning the insurance company. We have started a primary care company that we call Align Senior Clinic and a joint venture with Ally Align Health. And so we're, our aim is to provide chronic care management on our campuses, and we'll use that care model then to contract at risk with Medicare Advantage plans. So it's a win-win-win, residents win, we win, of course, and then Medicare Advantage plans win. To me, it just makes total sense that we all work together for this chronic care management that we need to provide to those living in our communities. 
So you mentioned Ally Align earlier. You mentioned, we talked about Minka. You know, these are two kind of tech forward organizations. So I wanted to ask you about technology. Is there anything that you, as you look over this industry, anything that makes you, you know, particularly excited these days or something that you're doing at Westminster that, you know, you think the rest of this industry should take note of with regard to technology? Yeah, well, obviously, if you look at what's out there, everybody gets excited about technology. I will tell you, Westminster, we are focused on two things. One is enhancing our infrastructure across the entire enterprise so that we can take advantage of all those things that are coming our way. You have to have the right infrastructure for many of those systems. And then secondly, we're really focusing on the basics right now. We're implementing a new electronic health record system, a new CRM for sales and marketing. We're looking at new tech-enabled workforce scheduling. So really all aiming to capture as much data as we can to successfully run the business of the future. And so, you know, to me, that's exciting because we're kind of building the infrastructure and platform to take advantage of what's coming our way. I think the pandemic brought a lot of resident engagement systems, and certainly there were a lot out there already, but they grew and they expanded their offerings during the pandemic. So so that's exciting. We're constantly looking at, at what's out there and, you know, won't always be out to uh, buy the most expensive thing out there. But if it makes sense, then we're going to try to to implement it over time. Before you came aboard at Westminster, we reported on the possibility of a merger with another nonprofit, Presbyterian Senior Living, which I think never ended up happening. And I won't ask you to comment on that specifically. It was before your time. But I guess, you know, more generally, how do you feel about the need for nonprofits to kind of work together now that we've gone through a pandemic that's made operations so much harder than in, in this industry? And also, do you expect that these current challenges might lead to more consolidations among nonprofits in this industry down the road. Yeah. You know, in my career, I've been part of small, mid-sized, and, and now, you know, the larger not-for-profit organizations. So I've seen it all. I see considerable benefits of being affiliated or being part of a larger system. It's just a resource. It's more, you know, it's more rich in resources, bench strength, help. We're definitely open to affiliations and mergers, but, you know, we... Our desire is to always lead with culture first. It's got to be a geographic fit and a culture fit. If it is, then then we're excited to add people to their family. Our company really, if you look through its history, has been built primarily through acquiring or affiliating with communities, seeking the benefits of a larger organization. So, you know, it's kind of part of our DNA. And I believe there could be, so I think we'll continue to see that around the country. And, and I think there'll probably be other models where organizations are working together. Maybe it's not a true affiliation or a merger, but there's going to be some other models where providers work together to gain scale and efficiencies, purchasing power, you know, the, those good things. We've talked a lot today about some of the other things that you're working on at Westminster, but I, I wanted to just sort of, uh, I wanted to get it clear from you. So, Throughout the remainder of this, the rest of this year, what can we expect to see out of Westminster Communities of Florida? You know, what are you working on right now that we might see come to fruition soon? Yeah, well, we have a lot of exciting things going on. I think maybe during the pandemic, we got to, to sit around in the corporate office more and just talk and chit chat when we're, we're on COVID calls. We're sort really, and, and I described a little earlier how we're working hard right now on team member culture. Uh, we're pulling out all the stops to improve recruitment and retention of the team. We've been implementing strategic culture plans, kind of a strategic action plan around culture improvement on all of our campuses and every one of our business units. And team members are really excited. It's actually fun to be part of it. 
And then we're also working to update our brand. We've grown over the years. We've added different models of communities. And so it's just a great time to evaluate who we are, where we are, and make sure that our brand reflects and supports our opportunity for growth, such as Minka and Active Adult, those things that we want to get into. We are looking at potential acquisitions. We're always going through stuff on our desk, and we're looking even to move outside Florida over time. So we're wide open to affiliation opportunities as well. I would say last, but maybe most exciting for me are just the amazing growth initiatives that we're undertaking on current campuses across the entire system. It's really fun to see the excitement that the residents have as we reinvest in their campuses. We're soon opening Sunrise Point. It's an independent living building on a beautiful Tampa Bay site at our Westminster Shores campus. I, I think some of the best views in the state and uh, we're adding a new state-of-the-art memory care communities in, in both Tallahassee at Westminster Oaks and then in uh, Jacksonville at Westminster Woods on Julington Creek. So that's just a couple of the many projects that we have across the system. So really a lot taking place. I don't have anything to announce right now other than some of these construction projects, but we're constantly looking at ways to grow. Here's a fun question, or maybe a hard one, a fun, hard question. As you look over the senior living industry, you know, I've talked with a lot of folks now on this podcast who say, I would do this differently, or I would change this. So as you look across the industry, is there something that you would change about this industry? And if so, you know, what would that be? And how would you change it? It saddens me that we don't have the ability to easily attract top talent. You know, we're, I think maybe that's improving some since, you know, I've been in, in this 30 years or so now. I, I, I think maybe it's improving, but we're working hard. I'm, I'm actually doing some young leader interviews. So I'm going around the state and where we have what we consider talented young leaders. I'm meeting them, interviewing them. And I think we're going to start some kind of a young leadership club or just something to try to retain this amazing talent that we have been able to attract. And I think if we do that right, we'll be able to attract more. So that saddens me, but I, I think there's hope for the future. And then we talked a little earlier, too, about consumers not really understanding what we do. And then if you don't understand what we do, you don't understand the benefits of living in a senior living community. And it's it's this inability to break down misperceptions about what we do that just is so frustrating. One thing we're doing to that end is we just started a, a very interesting and I think a very powerful marketing program that really helps the entire field of senior living. It's called Candid Conversations, and it's real life stories of older adults uh, who are considering moving into a, into a senior living community. And it highlights these real struggles that, that they face and their families face with them together. It's just some powerful interviews, and uh, those can be found at SeniorLivingCandidConversations.com. I have actually uh, seen some of these candid conversations, and that that is very interesting. So I I completely forgot that you are all involved in that. So thanks for bringing that up. That was that, yeah, absolutely interesting to me. All right, I, before we we end out today, I always ask my guests to kind of you know, knowing that no one has a crystal ball, kind of tell us what they think is going to happen for the rest of the year. So again, you know, I'm not making it a, uh, make a hard prediction here, but you know, what are you planning for in terms of? how the rest of 2021 is going to play out. This is a dynamic time. It's a time where there's a lot of change. So uh, what do you think is ahead? Yeah, so I guess we got five months left, right? I think we'll continue to adapt. And we're, there's probably going to be some more pivots that we have to do between now and the end of the year. I think 
you know, we learned a lot of lessons, a lot of lessons over the last year and a half. And, you know, I think it's very important that we continue to put those lessons to work, not only in infection control, but how we communicated the transparency that we had at residents. I think those are great lessons to carry forward way beyond this year. My hope is that we remain stable. I think the industry is going to, you know, not going to see a quick occupancy turnaround. I, I hoped that would be maybe a little more speedy than it seems to be, but I predict like other people that we'll be in 2022 and then we'll get back to these pre-pandemic occupancy levels. So we're excited there. On a, I was just uh, with my son. So on a personal note, my oldest son, Josh, he just took his first community director's job at an active adult community spent some time with him last week. And I told him, I believe that there's never been a more exciting time to enter the field of senior living. And I, I truly believe that. So 2021, maybe not as good as 2018 and 2019, but we're going to get back there. Well, congrats to your son for the, the new job. And those are, I think, great words to end on. So Terry Rogers, thank you so much for coming on Transform today. This has been a great discussion. No, thank you, Tim. Happy to be with you. That does it for this episode of Transform. I would again like to mention our upcoming Build event in Chicago on November 17 and 18. Be sure to visit seniorhousingnews.com slash events for the latest updates on Build and our other scheduled events. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.